From world-class media, this is World Class. I'm your host, Travis Chappell. Here on World Class, we combine value, entertainment, and behind-the-scenes insights to bring you the most comprehensive view of what it takes to become world-class in what you do. Listen in every week as I have conversations with top business leaders, journalists, hostage negotiators, authors, comedians, producers, you name it. If they're the best at what they do, I'll have a chat with them. I believe that the best way to become world-class is to learn from those who already are. And that's exactly what we do here on the show. You'll learn the skills that you need to master, the mindset that you need to adopt, the work you need to put in, all from people who have walked the road before you. So get ready to learn, be motivated, and most importantly, have a good time because you're listening to World Class. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Ask Travis. Uh, Obviously, we are doing things a little bit different this time around. Um, It was really unfortunate timing to start a brand new in-person only podcast uh, with all the stuff that's going on right now. So uh, here we are not doing in-person like two weeks into the show, Uh, but it's all good. It's all good. We're uh, recording this obviously remotely. I'm here at my uh, home studio and my producer, Eric, is also joining us from his home studio. Um, And uh, so we're going to go ahead and head into some of these questions, but really quick, we're actually had some really good feedback from the launch of World Class and uh, have a bunch of ratings and reviews and so we kind of wanted to highlight uh, a few of the ones that we've that we've picked out so um, Eric go ahead and take it away yeah we had a couple really cool ones come in Andy Storch uh, left Travis Rocks uh, Travis is one of the most connected people on the planet he consistently brings amazing world-class leaders together to share their knowledge this podcast rocks two rocks there you go um, Andy is host of the talent development hot seat and the talent development think tank uh, he left that Uh, Whitney B. from the Pink Lemonade podcast said, love the depth and consideration of this podcast. Definitely gems anyone can learn from. Uh, She learned about it at PodFest in Orlando. She looks forward to future episodes. And then lastly, Hans Trezina from Another Way to Play uh, said, Travis really stepped it up this time. He's been bringing on some really cool and interesting people and asking great questions. I've already learned so much in the first episode and I've shared it with several people. I'm excited to see where it goes. You stepped it up this time. What you were doing before... Was, uh, wasn't no, quite I'm as good. No, I'm just kidding. I just like to read these very cynically, but um, yeah, no, those are some. <laughs> awesome you like reviews, to read everything? So. Yeah. If you're, so, if you're listening, if you're watching this, whatever it is that you are doing, uh, make sure to go leave a rating review. And if you if you can, be sure to leave where it is that we can connect with you. Because one thing that Apple Podcasts is pretty bad at is the uh, feedback that uh, creators get. So. Um, you know, the, sometimes it just creates this automatic username and you have no control over what it says. So um, be sure to put like some of these guys did put your, put your business, put your podcast in the, in the comments. And we're going to give you a shout out, give you a little bit of exposure into your shows and what you did, what it is that you've got going on as a thank you for, um, for reaching out and leaving a rating and review of this show. So um, that goes for YouTube comments as well. So if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to drop a comment below. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the bell notification. That way you can be notified when we release new uh, new content. So, all right, Matt, let's go ahead and jump into uh, a few of the questions that we had from the audience today. There were a ton of good questions. So I picked a couple out here that we can run through. Um, the first half is kind of practical. And then the last half kind of gets a little more personal. Um, Eric Music asked, when reaching out to potential podcast guests, what's the best subject line to use to avoid both the spam filter and to get noticed and answered? So basically, how do they not get deleted the minute they show up in someone's inbox? Uh, Really good question. And I tested a lot of different things, especially when I first started. Um, And you know, it's, it's funny because I feel like I still don't have a super definitive answer. It just really depends 
it depends on that guest in particular and what it is that they have going on. Um, because I always want to appeal to their reticular activating system, which is, if you're not familiar with it, it's a concept that Tony Robbins talks about a lot. Um, it's basically, uh, it's basically your subconscious mind. It's programming your subconscious mind to pick up on certain things that your conscious mind doesn't even realize that are happening. So a perfect example would be, um, would be if you are at a restaurant and it's kind of noisy and you're in a conversation with somebody at the table and somebody three or four tables away from you says your first name, right? So if I'm at a, at a restaurant with my wife and we're having a conversation a few tables away, somebody says the name Travis, regardless of if they're talking to me or not, my focus gets drawn away from the conversation that I'm having with my wife and, and gets taken over there because my brain, my subconscious mind is trained to react to the word Travis, or it might be at this point trained to react to the word podcast or, um, or business or entrepreneur or something like that. Anything that you're constantly focusing on, your subconscious mind kind of picks up on and tells you that it's something that you should pay attention to. Um, another great example of this would be if you are if you just bought a Honda Civic and then you start driving and you, and you realize that like everybody and their mom all of a sudden owns a Honda Civic, everybody didn't just go buy one on the same day. You just, your reticulator activating system is now looking for that because it's something that you are consciously aware of. Um, and so uh, what I want to do when I'm sending emails, when I'm sending uh, emails to potential guests and I'm trying to make a subject line that's more appealing to them is I want to try to appeal to their reticular activating system. What's going to make them stop scrolling in their inbox? What's going to make them see that subject line and go, oh, I should pay attention to this. So a lot of the times now it's stuff like mentioning the name of somebody that I know is a mutual connection or mutual contact. The big thing is you don't want to grasp at straws for that um, because it's going to be super obvious. Like if, if it's clear, like if that person has a really good relationship with the person that you're name dropping and you don't really know that person, you just maybe connected once and you're like, it's very clear to those people that you're just grasping at straws and it's really easy for them to reach out to their friend and be like, Hey, do you know this person? And when they say no, that's going to look really, really bad on you. So don't use that. Um, don't abuse that. I guess I should, I, I should say. Um, and then if you're just starting out, what I, what I did at the beginning is I literally just put in the subject line, best podcast interview of your life. Um, and, uh, and then I would, you know, make a joke about it in my first sentence or whatever. But um, a lot of times simpler is better when it comes to subject lines. So even saying something like podcast interview, dot, 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 question mark, um, or interview request or something like that. Uh, where it's very generic and piques a little bit of interest um, and makes it to where they're going to be like, oh, I wonder whose show this is. If this is like the everybody, everybody, like you want to pique the interest and not give away too much in the in the uh, subject. And then if you can name drop, name drop because it helps build some credibility and um, helps ensure those open rates. That really helps get to how to get to the people. But once you do get an interview lockdown with someone, Brandon Berkemeyer asked, how do you maintain a relationship after you have the interview? Do you reach out every couple months? What's the process of kind of keeping that top of mind awareness with people? Yeah, that's a really good question. And something that I've honestly not been the best with um, in the past. And something that I'm trying to work on a little bit more now in the present, especially with uh, the amount of interviews that I've been doing. So uh, for me now, it's it's a much more on purpose thing of keeping track of the people that I'm contacting and getting in touch with. Before, I just didn't do it because like it was just too much work, and I was doing it all by myself, and it was on the side. It was my side hustle, so I was like doing all this work on the side, and it was enough work to do everything that I was doing, and I didn't want to make more work. And uh, so now that I'm past those excuses, because uh, that's all they are is excuses. Um, what I what I'm intending to do now is now I have a whole spreadsheet of all the guests that have ever been on my show. And uh, so now it's uh, used this application that I just actually recently got called BombBomb. Bomb. Um, and uh, one of the 
C-suite executives on that show is just on the on the podcast, and um, so uh, we were able to uh, work out something with them. And it's a video messaging app essentially um, that acts as like a a plugin on your uh, Gmail. So you can use it as like a Chrome plugin. And then when you're in your Gmail on your Chrome account, um, it will allow you to like send um, send videos really easily and effectively over email, um, which is a much uh, more personal way of, of staying in touch with the people uh, that you've been in contact with. So um, I would just I would just make it a habit to to start doing that on a daily or weekly basis. Um, so sending out messages to three or four people a day or five to seven people a week, something like that. Whatever it is, just pick something and stick to it. Um, you know, there's no magic pill or magic formula, I don't think, but um, as long as you pick something and you stick to it and, um, and you focus on the relationship aspect, not on like selling and stuff like that, you know, because then it can come across really disingenuous. But uh, so uh, long story short, or yeah, yeah, long story short, my uh, initial answer when I started was to do nothing, which was a bad idea. So I am currently in the middle of adjusting that and on purpose, staying in touch with the guests and the people that I've had on my show. So now getting to more of the personal side, um, Douglas Stevens asked, which interviews, if any, have challenged or even changed some of your core beliefs and how have these changes spilled over into other aspects of your life other than business? That's an easy one, right? <laughs> uh, that is a, that is a really deep question. Um, uh, man, I, just to, for some context here, uh, for those of you who don't know, i a lot of my beliefs have changed in the last four or five years um, without even having the show. So I would say that uh, while I can't, I can't really pinpoint certain interviews that maybe changed a big belief system for me, I would say that it's definitely had a huge impact on my belief systems because when you interview three people a week, like I was doing for a long time and that I'm doing again, you're just opened up to so many perspectives that you have to start giving credit to when you maybe in the past wouldn't have, if that makes sense. So uh, before, when I, when I was growing up, it was very much like, if you don't agree with me, you're just an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there was no, there was no in-between version. It was like, we're on the same page or you just don't have all the information to be able to end up to the conclusion that I'm at, or you're just dumb. Like you're either right. dumb, you're not you don't have enough information, or you agree with me, which is a really horrible and crippling way to view the world. Um, and unfortunately, the way that most people go throughout their entire lives without ever changing um, based on wherever they grew up, you know, whatever the culture or context they grew up in, whatever religious beliefs they grew up in, whatever, whatever cultural beliefs, environmental beliefs, whatever political standing, like whatever they grew up in, that's just what they adopt. And they keep doing that till the day they die. And I, I just think that it's, it's hindering to the progression of humanity. If we don't on purpose seek out people whose opinions might be different than the ones that we hold. And, um, so just doing the podcast in, inherently without even trying shakes up my perspective for sure, uh, because there's a lot of people that maybe I disagree with politically or, you know, religiously or, you know, in some other aspect of life, but I can't help but give them props for the things that they've accomplished. And over the course of a 30, 45 minute interview, you can really try to get to know somebody pretty well and, and be able to be like, you know what, this person's not dumb. They're not a jerk. They're not mean. They're not, like, they're a good person. They love people. They just hold different beliefs than I do because they have a different context and perspective into life and life has treated them a different way than it's treated me. And so we all have our own things that we carry into conversations. And the main 
thing is just trying to stay open to all those different types of perspectives and things like that. So I think the, I think the podcast has done nothing but just make me more open to what other people believe and, um, and has helped me challenge more of my beliefs and ask, go more internal and introspective and ask myself why. I believe the things that I believe. So I know that's kind of a long-winded, not really direct answer uh, because I don't really have a, a, an exact like interview that made me change a belief system off the top of my head. But uh, overall, for sure, there have been beliefs that have, that have changed and, and, uh, and made me completely different and, and see, see perspectives and sides of the table that I would have never seen before. Just being open to see perspectives, I think, is the change. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of what you hit at was it's being able to sit down with somebody you disagree with and not in your mind, just immediately shut them out. You know what I mean? Cause I'm sure Which is what I used to do. Yeah. I would have just sat there and nodded or, you know, whatever at the, at the very best, I would have just nodded and waited for the conversation to be over, but to actually be able to sit down and have that conversation. Um, and I texted you the other day about, you know, people struggle with like other worldviews even existing. And I think, I think we saw that with a lot of the comments on Tommy's video was like, there's people who struggled with the fact, you know, even before we interviewed, I mean, to be honest, I struggle with the fact that her positions and things exist, you know? And so I think it's really when you can come to the point, even if you don't walk away agreeing with their positions, you know, you can walk away and say like, Oh, they're not necessarily the devil because they don't agree with me. You know, that's a big, that's a big jump. Oh no, it was insane, bro. Like I, I get hate every once in a while, you know, I mainly have a pretty positive message, so I don't get a ton right. of hate. Um, as, as some people would like people like Tommy who are in, in an in inherently divisive industry where like everybody is hated are, by one are side politics or the other divisive? side. Are, are, are they <laughs> a divisive yeah. thing to be talking right. about? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 definitely not. Yeah. Politics and religion are, you know, really, really, really neutral topics. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, in my field, I, I don't run into it a ton, but man, this interview, people lit me up, man. It was crazy. Just, it, it's crazy to me because, because I didn't express any political beliefs of mine in the interview. And she barely did as well, with the exception of maybe one or two, you know, context answers, but it really wasn't a political conversation. That's the crazy thing is like people were commenting on there. Like we just talked about immigration for 20 minutes and it was like, we, we didn't talk right. about like anything that you're even mentioning in this comment. What are you talking about right, right now, man? Like, and just because they saw me with her, they automatically assume that I agree with all of her political beliefs, which is just not true. It's just right. that I'm okay with talking to somebody who's obviously absolutely crushed it in a certain area of life and trying to learn the things that I can learn and finding the common ground that we can connect on instead of leaning on the things that we disagree on. Why would we do right. that? I can find things, I can find things with everybody in the world that things that I disagree on and things that I do agree on. Why would I go right. straight for the things that I disagree on? doesn't make any right. sense. Okay, so this one has been a long time coming and I'm excited to announce the launch of my new company, World Class Media. I've been doing podcast coaching and consulting for individuals and businesses for the last couple of years and over the last few months, I just haven't been able to keep up with the requests. So in order to serve more people, I've decided to stop taking on coaching clients and start an agency that creates a done-for-you podcasting solution as well as monthly production and repurposing services. So if you are a business owner, coach, consultant, entrepreneur, real estate investor, whatever it may be, then a podcast should be be the most powerful business development tool in your arsenal. Imagine having something that is constantly engaging your ideal client, even when you're sleeping. 
or that allows you to connect with the top people in your industry to build your network and establish credibility, or that allows you to help listeners that are currently outside of your sphere of influence, or that helps you get book deals or speak on more stages or create content once that we can repurpose and distribute across all the platforms for you. That is the power of a world-class podcast that's done the right way. So if you're interested in starting a show, but you just don't have the time, the resources, or desire to figure out all the tech stuff, the hosting, the equipment, the platforms, the production, then you just focus on what you do best, which is serving your clients and running your business. And then let my team focus on what we do best, which is creating world-class chart-topping podcasts. Let's at least hop on a call and chat about it because I'm fairly picky with the people that I work with. And I only work with people who I genuinely think are going to be able to absolutely crush it with a new show. So head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. That's travischapel.com slash make my podcast. And we'll chat real soon. This one goes even a little bit heavier uh, than that question. Um, Charles Power mentions, uh, in my life, I've gone through a lot of dark times, difficult trials, drugs, jail, divorce, uh, death, rehab. Uh, now that I'm older and have gone through those things, I actually feel that they've made me incredibly strong and built me to have even more success than has hindered me. What are some trying times you went through that have built you into the man you are today and have set you up for success? That's a really good question. Um, it's, it's sometimes difficult to put into words because nobody likes the struggle, but also nobody, nobody is made great without it. And, uh, which I find a super interesting, you know, paradox really, where it's just like, I don't want to struggle, but at the same time, if I don't struggle, I'm probably not going to get refined enough to come out on the other end with anything changed, you know, without, like with no struggle, there's no growth with no discomfort. There's no growth. It has to happen. So, um, uh, I think recognizing that first of all, and being okay with the fact that maybe you got, you know, dealt a, a shitty hand, um, and just, un- just, just simply realizing that recognizing that it's okay. And that it's probably actually giving you an, it's probably going to give you an advantage based on the way that you choose to look at it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's really the whole lesson for me is that it, like the the situation, the environment, the the thing in and of itself is not inherently good or bad for the most part. You know, it's really your reaction to it and the way that you choose to look at it and view it is what makes it good or bad. So um, uh, that's first of all. Uh, so a couple of things for me, um, one of the big things was, and, and you know this about me, Eric, would be when I was, uh, uh, it's hard to even say this without like giving a huge, amount of background. Um, but long story short, I grew up in a very tight knit religious bubble in Southern California. And, uh, it it wasn't a cult. It's not a cult. It's somewhat similar in, in characteristics, uh, meaning that it's very much a tribe mentality. It's very much like, uh, you're either in our circle or you're not. Um, and, uh, it's very much like taboo if you leave that circle and don't do those things anymore. And there's a lot of, judgment. There's a lot of talk and shit that happens uh, when you leave. And, uh, and so when I, 
I grew up in that basically my entire life. So the time I was kindergarten all the way through college, I was on this one campus, uh, which makes my situation a little bit unique uh, because, because of that. So on one 20, 30, whatever it is, 40 acre campus um, in the middle of Southern California, I basically spent seven days a week for the time I was three till the time I was 21 on that campus. And so um, when I was making the decision to no longer be in ministry, because that was what I was doing. I went to college. I, I my degree in Bible and church ministries, double majored um, in Bible and church ministries, and that's what I was going to do. And so when I made the decision to not be in ministry anymore, um, it was a really, really difficult process and a really lonely time because I didn't, anytime that I shared the desire with somebody else, it was really met with like disdain and met with like shutting it down immediately. Like, Oh, well don't talk like that. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, you know, uh, that's just, that's just Satan trying to get you to not, you know, go into ministry because he knows your potential and blah, blah, blah. And so I, I just internalized it and I knew uh, there was something internal that I knew like this wasn't the path that I was supposed to go on. I don't know why. I just, I just knew that that I, I, I didn't have a good feeling about doing it. I, I looked at some jobs. I did a bunch of interviews and uh, I was just like, I just don't think this is the path for me, but I don't know why. And I also don't know what the path is alternatively. So there's no direct answer for me here and there's nobody for me to even talk to about it. So, um, you know, that was a super, super lonely time where I had to really get in deep and ask myself why I believe what I believe. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is this something that I'm willing to spend my life doing? And at the end of the day, it just wasn't. And, um, and I don't, I don't have any ill feelings or ill will toward anybody who's still in that culture. It's just for me, it wasn't the decision that I wanted to make. And so when I decided to leave all of that, it was a really lonely time because we moved and then all those people that used to have my back all of a sudden didn't. And, uh, and, and sure. I, and I have close friends from that, from that world that are still my, you know, really, really close friends, but they're not in that world either. So, you know, I guess, I guess that's a little bit different, but, um, that was one of the big things for me uh, was going through that at such a young age. And uh, I think gave me an advantage into what we were just talking about, which is being open to other people's perspectives, which is something I never was ever able to do growing up. But then when I became an adult and I realized that I was so sold on something that I no longer believed, it made me realize that, oh, people can really believe things to be accurate. That doesn't make them more accurate. Like the belief that something is true doesn't make it true. Right. Like, so, and so I, that was one thing that, that I really had to learn during that time. And I had to get super honest with myself and, and uh, really ask myself, like, am I doing this for me? Or am I doing this for other people? Um, and if you're only living life for other people, then you can't expect to be happy. You just right. can't. If you're only living life for what other people want you to do, you're, you, you can't expect happiness. So don't expect happiness. Like if you want happiness, you're going to have to live for yourself. You're going to have to live selfishly in a certain way. And that doesn't mean that I don't give to people. That doesn't mean that I don't help people out. That doesn't mean that I'm a douchebag. It just means that like on a daily basis, I need to be doing what fires me up and not what other people think I should be doing because ultimately it's my life and I'm the only one that has to wake up every day and be me. Um, and so that was, that was one big thing. Another big thing was, um, a couple of years back, my wife's dad passed away. You know, I, I guess the best word I could describe would be used to describe it would be surreal. It was just a surreal time. Um, you know, he, we heard the news on January 3rd that he was in the hospital and he's 53 by the way. So, um, not an old guy, you know, by any means, uh, 53 years old. Uh, we found out he was in the hospital January 3rd and then January 13th, he passed away. And that was, a uh, obviously insanely difficult time for my wife. Uh, but, but I think a lot of times because of that, 
the other party in those types of situations isn't really checked in with as much um, because like I didn't, because it wasn't me losing my dad, you know what I mean? So um, I, I, all I was doing was trying to be there for Jackie. And so it was another one of those times in my life where I just retreated inside and all the, all of the feelings that I was feeling during that time of like watching the person I love most in the world go through something so horrible was like all of those things were just kind of squished down further inside of me mm. and put in with all the other emotions from the past things that I had dealt with um, in, in my own life. And so it, it was just like a big magnet magnification almost of, of, you know, the negative thoughts and feelings that, that I had had. And, and I, I just didn't feel like I could express them. Like I didn't feel like it was my place. I didn't feel like I was being right. fair to her to like bring up how I was feeling when she was going through something so horrible. Um, and so I internalized a lot of those things and, then what happened is it ended up kind of blowing up in our marriage and we came really close. I don't even, I don't even know if I told you this, bro, but we, we've, we came really close to separating and getting a divorce um, about a year after all this stuff happened with her dad because it caused such a chasm between us. Um, and uh, looking back, I think it was just because I, I just further isolated myself uh, right. from, from her and from other people because I, I kept I kept putting down the situation that I was in because it wasn't as bad as the situation she was in. And I'm not a dramatic person or an emotional person typically. And so when I feel those things and I, and I, and I feel some of those things boiling up, I feel like almost it's my duty to like push them back down. And so right. I, I created almost this, this um, isolation of myself in our marriage that just took me further away from her instead of bringing me closer to her and, um, and just use temporary relief to get away from it instead of actually di like diving deep and dealing with the problem. And so it, it almost cost us our marriage, to be honest. And uh, it, was a, it was a difficult time, uh, to say the least. And, um, but the crazy thing is during all of that is when I, like, that's when I launched my podcast and my online business was during all that stuff. Um, and so it, it was just kind of like a, you know, all this stuff is happening, but at the same time, I still got to get, get up and do what I got to do because, yeah. you know, life isn't ever like, there's never going to be a perfect time and people are always waiting for the perfect time. Like, Oh, now it's just not the right time. Now it's just not the right time. Okay. Well, when is going to be the right time? Because like people have been saying for a long time, well, I don't have any time. And then all of a sudden like the coronavirus hits and we're, we're all stuck at home doing nothing and you still don't have the time. Like when are you yeah. going to find the freaking time, man? Like you just got to get in and do things and, um, and, uh, and, and work through it. And so that's, that's what I did at the time. And, and, and I, sure, I, there's a lot of things that I would do differently now, if I were in that position again. Uh, but at the time, I just kind of downplayed my own emotions, my own feelings during, during all of that. And it just kind of got in me and uh, made me be that lonely island again all by myself and um, further isolated me from everything, which was, which was a huge struggle. And so um, that's definitely helped shape me into the husband that I am now. It's, it's helped shape me into the, the father that I am now uh, because it made, it made me realize certain things about myself that I really didn't like um, and that I, and that I knew wouldn't be a good example for, for my son and things that I really had to face head on and, and really change. So um, I know that's kind of a long winded answer, but. No, I think, and I think that's really, I mean, that kind of stuff's important. I resonate a lot with that story. I mean, we, we were married for like three months and, you know, found out we were pregnant, had a miscarriage, like, and went from that to losing a job, like two months later, three months later, like having to move back, back to our home state, find like a regular job again after doing something we love doing. And it's like, you know, I spent all that time thinking like, this should be affecting me more. Like it did affect me a lot at the time, but I was like, this, this, this should be affecting me more than it is. And then 
you get to a point where like a year later you were like, why do I feel like this? Why do I have these emotions and this feeling? And it's like, oh, I never dealt with it at the time. I was so busy. And especially, I think especially for, you know, when you're in a position of being a husband or a dad, like you have this thing where you feel like I have to, whether it's society puts that on you or you put that on yourself, you feel this obligation to carry everybody through crisis. And so like for me, like it was this year when like we were making better money than ever before. We were more comfortable than ever before. Like we had security for the first time in like our entire marriage. And it was like, oh, now I'm depressed and miserable. And it's like, it's cause I never dealt with all of those things that were, I felt this stigma around to talk about. And I think you've done a good job even just one-on-one with me, but I think just with people you've talked to addressing that stigma of like, it's okay. Like being an entrepreneur is hard. Being a human being is hard and you need to be able to talk openly. Like the fact that you're willing to share that to your audience is something that's like really impactful. And I think that's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff that people need to hear. It's like, there's, yeah, people need to know how to, you know, how to send a good email to someone they want to get on their podcast. But I think there's also people who are like, I can't even muster up the strength to write that email right now. And so I think that's, I think that's the kind of stuff people are going to be interested to hear. Um, into a more positive upswing, um, Christy Cronin asks um, about, and this kind of ties in, but it's defining the legacy that you want to leave for your family, your community, and beyond. And she brings up that world-class people function differently, like on a different level. And she wants to know their drivers and what truly sets their hearts on fire for life and what they do. So what's your motivator? What's the thing that's pushing you to keep all this stuff going, to be pushing forward and growing a business? Yeah. So interesting question on the heels of the conversation that we just had, because it's um, similar. Two really deep whys that motivate me. The first one is the obvious one is my son. Um, as soon as, uh, not really as soon as he was born. Cause I honestly was, wasn't one of those dads that like felt an immediate connection with him. Um, I, I, I knew that he was my son, but I didn't, I didn't, it didn't change the way I felt. Um, it, it took me really probably, I don't know, six to eight weeks to really start like, wow, that's my son type of the, the and now it's grown into something that I can't, you like, I'm like every other parent out there, right? Like you, you can't explain it until you have a right. kid and it's grown into that for me 100%. Uh, more than I thought that it would, uh, but uh, it wasn't something. It, it kind of scared me when, it, at first, when he was born, because I, I didn't feel like I was having that feeling, and I felt like a bunch of other people did have that feeling. I was like, "What's wrong with me? I'm emotionless, right. like you know, like statue." And um, uh, but uh, it, I think for dads, it's a little bit different because you don't have that immediate connection. You know, mom carries them, and they have an intimate relationship with them throughout the entire pregnancy, and then they have them. There, there, there is more of a chance for that immediate connection there. And I, you know, as a dad, I, I didn't feel that. But as soon as I did, like that completely altered my, my whole life and, and my why and gave me ref, like focused, got, got me refocused on what it is that's, that's really important. And, uh, and, that is, uh, and that is being an example to him. And that's now what, I, what I'm kind of obsessive over is like whenever I'm doing something that I, that I think that maybe I would have justified before, now I don't justify it because it's like do – like if my son saw me do this and asked me why I did it, would I be able to justify my reasoning to him? And if not, I probably shouldn't be doing it. And uh, it just gives me so much clarity in like the tasks that I need to do and 
with pushing myself to accomplish more things. Um, even though I, I feel like I've done fairly well up to this point, I, I just always want to be constantly pushing myself. And he's definitely a big driver for that. But the second um, reason for me <clears throat> has to do with, with, uh, with uh, my wife's dad passing. And uh, it was just a, a tragic way that he died. And uh, at 53 years old, at such a young age to, to die the way that he did. And uh, one of the biggest things that I remember from that was that there just weren't a ton of people that visited. And I just remember during that time, really thinking to myself, like, man, I, I, I want, I want more than that. Like, I want, I want more than like, just knowing that, like, do I want to provide for my family? Do I want to impact my family? Yeah, 100%, of course. Um, but I, I want my legacy to be far extending past the chapel name and be able to touch people that, that can say that I genuinely made a difference in their lives and that I genuinely helped them out. And like to have a, you know, a line out the door at, uh, on my deathbed. And it sounds so selfish and stuff, but I, that's just, it was such a eye-opening thing to actually experience it and to watch someone take their last breath with only a couple people that came through the hospital that whole entire week that he was there to see. Like that was such a compelling thing for me to be like, man, if this were me, I, I, I just, I, I want I want a bigger footprint on the world when I leave. And I don't know why I'm that way. I, Cause I don't think, I don't think everybody is, you know, somebody might be listening to this and being like, actually, I don't really care. Like I, I, I just want to, I want to focus on my family and I want to provide for them. And like, there's no right or wrong answer. And so um, I think world-class performers all kind of share that common thread of a legacy that extends beyond who they are right. um, and extends beyond uh, so that the world remembers them in a different way. I, I, I to be honest, Christy, uh, it's a good, good question. I just don't know why. I don't know why some people have that and some people don't have that. I don't know how I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out now more about how to cultivate that. Um, but uh, it, I know, I know that everybody that is world-class, I know that they all have a deep, a deep why and a deep meaningful reason behind what they do. Um, but in, in, you know, in regards to like what you can do to, um, to like tap into that, I, that's a, it's a really good question and something that I'm looking forward to asking more people about on the show. And again, that's super bizarre. Cause, um, that's, um, not to get super personal, but like, that's something that I, uh, I was talking to, uh, you know, Micaiah, pastor, uh, Micaiah in San Jose. And I was talking to him, I was doing work with him and we were driving and I was like explaining some stuff I was struggling with. And I, I was like, I started crying a little bit. I was like one of my biggest fears. And I said, I'm terrified of like, if I was to die, would there be anybody at my funeral? That's like actually sad that I'm gone and can actually look back and say like, man, he had an impact beyond me just saying like, Oh, he was a good employee or he was a, you know, all those prerequisite things that people are just going to show up. I was like, I want to, I want to make sure that there's people that are like actually impacted by what I'm doing. And so that's, that's super weird that you brought that up. Cause that's like a very specific fear that keeps creeping in is like, man, am I doing stuff where people are going to be like any kind of emotion when I'm gone? Am I, and in that, I mean, that seems kind of morbid, but I think it really just circles back to the fear of like, do people, am I bringing value to people now? I think that's really the root of that kind of emotion. So, um, yeah, I think that's a, I thought that was a really cool question to leave off on. Cause I think it is, um, what is it that drives someone to be doing all this stuff? We're interviewing all these world-class people and that have put time and hours and, you know, blood, sweat and tears into building these like crazy empires. And it's like, why, what motivates that? And so 
I think it's interesting here, especially hearing from you, how that shifted after having a kid and all the life changes, like it's probably going to keep shifting and morphing as you go. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a really cool answer and a good question to kind of end this one on. Well, awesome. Thanks so much everybody for tuning in. If you're listening to this, uh, make sure to go uh, leave a rating and review on uh, Apple podcasts, whatever podcast player that you're tuning in from. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to drop a comment uh, with a question that you want us to address next time. Um, you know, Obviously, you can tell by the wide-ranging topics in this conversation that it, that we're not putting a limit on what can be asked. So feel free to ask away about anything, podcasting or email, reach out or um, or business or marketing or whatever. But also, you know, bigger things like life and struggles and you know spirituality and whatever else you know kind of questions you guys have. Feel free to drop those in the comments on YouTube or join my Facebook group over at TravisChapel.com/group, um, and we put a post in there to get more questions for. Uh, these episodes every single week. So um, if you liked what you listened to, please, please, please just hit that share button. You never know who might be affected um, uh, through something that was said here on the show. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. That's it for this episode of Ask Travis. We'll catch you next time. Peace out. Well, that's it for this episode of World Class. World Class is hosted by me, Travis Chapel, and produced by Eric Skorzynski. It is a world-class media production. At World Class Media, we produce top-rated podcasts for seven to nine-figure entrepreneurs, executives, real estate investors, and content creators. So if you want your own show, you have the budget to create one, but you just don't have the time or the team to figure it out, then go to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. That's travischapel, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L.com slash make my podcast. And let's chat to see if we'd be a good fit to work together. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, peace out and stay world-class. Thank you.